world has been trying to make sense of the COVID-19 crisis. People have a lot of opinions in regard to it. And a familiar phase, phrase is that we are all in the same boat together. I was encouraged by an ar article or a little writing that I saw that basically said that's not true. We may not be in the same boat together. We might be in the same storm, but we're each in different boats because this crisis is really impacting people differently. And as I consider that in regard to what we're looking at, that's true. A lot of the people we talk with are being impacted in, in some in great ways, some not so much. Some are actually enjoying the time away from some of the normal things that they had to do. So what do we do when we're moving forward and potentially transitioning soon uh, as we consider what is happening to us in this world? I think the key thing is for us to have a foundation, a foundation of understanding what can help us regardless where we might be. Because we have various ways in which we are concerned about situations, maybe different issues that we're faced with. Or another way to say it is we might have some things that we might be fearing that we might be losing. Some of those might be associated with our career or job or our health maybe finances or opportunities. This may have been the year when some things were going to come together. Or maybe it's the opportunities that we feel like we've wasted over the last six weeks, recognizing we could have used time better. And as a result, uh, we're somewhat scared as to what life will be like once we get back to that busy schedule again. Relationships, whether it's strained relationships by being uh, put together with people you're not used to being put together with, or maybe it's some individuals that have been going through some difficulties in their lives and as a result, we don't get a chance to spend time with them. Or it might be even that we may have lose somebody during this time. And then there's that fear that we'll never, ever be able to experience normal again or whatever that normal might be. And as a result of these various fears or desires or anxieties, uh, we may be uh, tempted to console ourselves. The internet is filled with all sorts of examples of how people are consoling themselves, what they're, what they're turning to during this time. And just a few things that, that seem to be prevalent is that comfort food is becoming a bigger, bigger thing. Uh, more movies are being watched. Uh, people might be comforted by the, the uh, arrival of a stimulus check, or maybe it's the video chats, or maybe that favorite stuffed animal that uh, we carry with us now during this time. Could be the latest thing on gadget on our phone that keeps us busy and consoled. Receiving a good phone call and being consoled by spending some time with someone we don't get a chance to connect with or maybe those comfy clothes. I have with me my uh, little comforter. It's, a, it's an old fleece jacket that I've had for a long time. And my wife, I'm sure, as soon as I put it down someplace, will find a way of retiring it at some point. I thought about putting it on at this point of the message, but then I thought, it's just too much Mr. Rogers right now on that type of situation. But there are things that we might be looking for in regard to comfort or want to be consoled with. It might be news that comes, whether it's coming from the CDC or from our government or whoever it might be coming from, that we are looking for that for some kind of consolation. 
Over the next couple of weeks, we would like to look at one of the more comforting chapters of the Bible out of Isaiah chapter 40. This week, we'd like to look at the comfort in crisis from Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8, uh, that God uses his word to comfort us in crisis. And next week, we'll look at God's greatness as we look at the rest of the chapter of Isaiah chapter 40. But before we get into that, let's begin some time in prayer. Father, I thank you again for the privilege of being able to share your word. There are a few passages that, that scream comfort like this Isaiah 40, and for good reason, because of the news that uh, the people of Judah had heard and what they needed to hear. And Father, I pray that as we may be at a place where we need to hear comfort and encouragement, that we might recognize that your word is designed to console us, to comfort us in a way to keep us moving forward rather than finding ways to numb ourselves or to uh, help us forget some of the challenges that we have before us. Father, I pray that your word will be exalted today, and we ask, Father, that uh, you would be glorified in what we say and do. We ask in Jesus' precious name, amen. The book of Isaiah starts out, uh, chapter 40 starts out with this statement. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God, Isaiah 40, verse 1. Isaiah has just given the people of Judah, in what we see recorded in chapter 39, uh, several uh, uh, bad news kind of scenarios. Of course, Judah knew that Israel was taken into captivity and all the difficulties going along with that, and the promise that they too would go into captivity under this uh, uh, country called Babylon. And all these things that were uh, prophesied for them to experience. And in light of that, it would be very easy for them to have a fear of loss. I think in their case, the fear of loss would be different as well. Those who owned much would have much to lose. Those who were uh, in situations where maybe they were in poverty, uh, they would just get more poverty-type experience when they got carried away. Others might be dealing with a great loss of the things that they have and put into other responsibilities. They didn't know what all to expect, but Isaiah wanted to give them a perspective of God and his word. And we'd like to look at that today because I think it'd be helpful to us as we want to be consoled and have comfort by something maybe better than some of the things that we have been turning to of recent, that we might come out of this time in which we have been isolated or maybe are very busy and our life is just uh, uh, totally uh, with no margins to be able to come out of this time with some comfort of search of whatever that new normal might be. God was consoling Judah for the expectation of that loss. But it's not too unlike what Jesus did in John chapter 14. A few weeks ago, we were talking about that Passion Week. And when we referred to that, we talked about some of those things that went on with the disciples, things that Peter would have witnessed. And one of those experiences would be when Jesus was saying this. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus was consoling them. He was preparing them for a loss, a loss of their time with him, a loss of what they knew is normal for the last three years, uh, what they understood as their expectations going forward 
of things that they had hoped for, all those things would be losses. Uh, But Jesus wanted to console them and encourage them that their heart should not be troubled. May I encourage you that God's word wants to help us to be consoled as we go forward so that we don't have to have our hearts be troubled as well. When we get back to Isaiah, uh, we want to recognize how he closes out that chapter. Because we have to ask the question as, what is the purpose of being consoled? There's a program that we instituted at our church at Crossroad that was critical for those who are grieving. It's called Grief Share. And the, the title, really, of the program that, they're, uh, that they use is called The Journey from Sorrow to Joy. And how that the point of helping them be consoled was for them to move on in their journey. In some cases, some baby steps. But there was a desire for them to be consoled so that there might be something to happen. Look how Isaiah says it at the end of the chapter 40. He says, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with the wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I believe as we look at these next two weeks about those things that are written in the scriptures to console or comfort us, that we might recognize that they are designed to help us move forward. And to be able to accomplish things for God. And I trust that today you will be encouraged by God's word about that very truth. Let's go back to the earlier part of Isaiah 40. Where Isaiah is penning these words. It says, all flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. We see from this that Isaiah is really making it clear that there is a temporary situation. Our lives, for the most part, are temporary. All those things that we might be concerned about, those issues, maybe those fears of loss, those are all temporary things. These are things that we might love and appreciate and have been comforted by in the past, but they are all things that are essentially temporary. And God wants us to recognize that even though they might be beauty, notice how he says, all its beauty, the things that we have around us are designed to be beautiful for us. God designed creation and the things that are available to us to be enjoyable. He created us in his own image. He desires beauty and he appreciates beauty. And he's given us an opportunity to have similar desires and to be fulfilled from that. But what God wants us to understand is those things are really temporary. And if we put all of our stock in hoping that they would all just stay the same, that we would be frustrated because God never designed them to be the fulfillment of all of our desires, to take care of all our consoling and comfort God designed himself to be that and it should be our desire to recognize that these things are temporary just as James says in James chapter 4 says yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring what is your life 
for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. James is making it very clear that we can't count on planning things out, that we will be able to make it to a particular phase of our life of these these benchmarks that we've planned out a long time ago, that something might come into that and keep us from doing it. So that's why we should say, Lord willing, this will happen. And that we are anticipating that maybe God will give us opportunity to enjoy these things in which we plan. But we must be reminded that it's all temporary. But there is something that lasts forever. And Isaiah reminds us of this, that the word is what lasts. God's word is eternal. Our lives might be temporary, but God's word is eternal. That phrase goes on this way. It says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. I think it's fitting to realize that it's the word of our God. It's not the word of the, uh, the newscasters. It's not the word of the stock market or our government or of the CDC or whatever it is that we're looking for some news to help us have some hope going forward. Now, all those are some excellent resources, and I'm not trying by any means to, uh, to show them in a bad light, but in comparison to God's word, they are. Because they are temporary, and God's word is what is eternal. Peter, in his attempt to encourage the people he was writing to, he had ones that had fear of loss. He had those that were going through persecution, had lost things already, and maybe were losing loved ones or were uh, considering the fact that they might be losing loved ones. And so the book of First Peter is about how to deal with trials and how to work through them. Peter chooses to quote this passage while he is encouraging his friends. He says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. He's talking about how the word is living and abiding. And then he quotes this passage out of Isaiah to show to them the temporariness of our life, but the eternal aspect of God's word. He sandwiches that with this, and this word is the good news that was preached to you, that we have this living word that is aligned to work in our lives. The word not only lasts and is eternal, the word is living. The word lives. Peter says this also in that first chapter. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. The word of God is what purifies our heart. The word of God is critical to, as Hebrew says, to come in and do the surgery, uh, to know the thoughts and intents of our hearts, to help us be able to deal with the things we're struggling with on the inside. God has given us his word so that we can be able to make sense of the things that are happening in our lives. 
as James says in a portion where he talks about being like a man who looks in a mirror and forgets what manner of person that he is, uh, so as it is if we're not being willing to be a doer of the word as well as a hearer of the word, that the word of God is indeed that which penetrates our hearts and helps us purify our hearts. The word lives not only to purify your heart, but also to change your life. A very encouraging portion of scripture is found in Second Timothy in a very discouraging time where Paul is talking to his uh, protege, Timothy. He says that in the end times, people are not going to want to listen to the word of God. They're going to want to do things according to their own flesh. They're going to have, they're going to be marching to the beat of their own drum, and they're not going to be interested in what God has to say. They're going to have all of their own philosophies, and they will run after the flesh and the desires, and they will seek consolation and comfort from resources outside of God. But Paul is encouraging Timothy that there is a resource that he needs to cling to, that he needs to ensure that is a part of his life and a part of his ministry, and it's the scriptures. He shares this truth about the scriptures in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Timothy needed to be reminded that there was something that he had that was stable, something that he could hang on to. Those who have done some summaries on the life of Timothy, sometimes call him timid Timothy, that maybe he struggled with some of the pressures of ministry, maybe he had some frail aspects of his life, maybe he was fearful that others did not respect him. Paul gave him that which is something that any of us can hang on to, something that comes directly from God, breathed out from God, the Holy Scriptures. We call it inspiration, but from what I understand, it's actually, actually more like an expiration, not like expiration date, but God expiring out his word. So it represents really what he desires for us to know. And that's only fitting. If we have been created in the image of God, and if we have been bought with a price through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, it only makes sense that God has for us a game plan or a playbook so that we would know how we should move forward in regard to that which he has created us for, that which he has purchased us for. And so when he breathes out this word, we know that it's profitable, profitable to change our lives. Look at the areas in which Paul is specific on in regard to what the scriptures do. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable, first of all, for teaching. Teaching us that which is correct. We put a great value on teaching in our society. I've heard it said, know better, do better. And I believe that's true if we're knowing the right things. And to have a good foundation, or as someone has said, someone who lays the tracks that allow us to know what direction we ought to go, that's what the Word of God does. Sadly, so many people have chosen to not listen to how the Word of God directs for their lives. 
and they do not see the full picture of how God has created us and what he's designed us for. The scriptures are profitable for us to be able to understand who he is, who we are, and who others are and how we should interact with them. God has it spelled out in his scriptures in such a way that we can understand really what our purpose is and how we're able to move through these needs that are around us. He says also it's profitable for reproof. When I first started going to church and I told some of my family what church I was going to, and they said, oh, that's the church with all the rules, okay? They're always telling you when you're wrong. I didn't know what that meant. All I knew, the people that I was going to church with loved me, and they uh, would teach me out of the scriptures. Oh, yeah, there were things that we were taught that we should do. There were things that we were taught that we shouldn't do. But the neat thing about the scriptures is it tells us when we're wrong. I don't know about you. I don't personally, I don't personally like to be told when I'm wrong, but I am appreciative when someone tells me when I'm wrong, and it saves me some embarrassment. They help me be able to recognize that maybe I made some wrong choices, and I'm able to change that before someone else sees it and be able to save face. Also, there are times when we're wrong and we're going in a direction where we're just going to be paying far more than we really ever intended for a situation. And someone comes in and says, I think you're going the wrong way. I think that you need to uh, reassess the direction that you're going. The Bible is profitable for that. And it would be uh, foolish of us to not recognize that there is an instrument that can tell us when we're off course, that can allow us to know that we're not going in the right direction. There are many a times when I found myself depending upon my phone only to determine I didn't have good coverage and as a result lost all access to GPS to find myself going on some roads that were taking me in the wrong direction. How I would have loved for the GPS to tell me, turn around. Go in a different direction, but I didn't have access to that. And then there are those times when I've actually had a GPS. They told me to turn around, and I ignored them. <laughs> but the Word of God is like that. It reproves us. But the encouraging aspect is it not only reproves us, it tells us how to get right. It corrects us. This is where some of my family members didn't quite understand that the, the value of being in a Bible-teaching church wasn't just to be able to determine what is right and when you're wrong, is that joy of knowing that you can do it right and that someone can give you some instructions from the Scriptures on what direction to go. Quite frankly, that is what motivated me to pursue biblical counseling, to know that I could have some tools that were based on some authority outside of myself or some of those who, people who called themselves experts to give people a way of fixing the messes that they were in. The Word of God is profitable because it's God-breathed and it's profitable not only to show us what is right uh, when we have gotten off that course, but how to get back on the course. And I encourage you that if you're at a time in your life that as you look at your life, and you recognize you're not on the right course, that you're not doing those things that you're pretty confident that God has said you should be doing, 
that go back to the scriptures. Look for the correction. Look for that information that will help you move in the direction that God created and designed you for because the Bible is profitable for that. Not only will it change your life because of your reproof and correction and teaching, but because it trains you in righteousness. Kind of like the idea that once you get right, you need something to keep you going in the right direction. And the Bible is designed not only as a teacher, but also as a trainer to help you be able to, to work on those particular areas. And what's best at those times is find someone else to come alongside you and be able to work with you with the Bible, talking about how that you can implement this truth so that you can continue to move on that pathway that God has for us. So a reminder of the value of the scriptures. They're there for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. God's word lives to change your life. And Paul goes on to say this, right after those words of encouragement of the value of the scriptures, he says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In a sense, that's kind of the resolve that we see in Isaiah 40, where he is encouraging us to uh, in a, not just be consoled, but be willing to have the energy and to be able to move forward. You see, God consoles you not just to avoid being stuck in hopelessness, but he consoles you so that you can press forward for his good work. Let me remind you again of the end of that passage in Isaiah 40. He says this, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. What is it that saps the strength? Is that which need consoling. That fear, that discouragement, that being worn out. But it's the waiting upon the Lord will renew their strength. so that Not so that they could just feel better but so that they could mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. What is God comforting you to do? Is he comforting you to fly? Maybe you've been not accomplishing all that you should be accomplishing for the Lord. And through this COVID-19 situation, God is bringing upon you a realization that there's things you could do more, more that you could do through his strength, through his comfort and his consoling to fly or run, to be able to be more consistent in keeping up with what you're doing and being active, or even just the verb walk. Uh, what's interesting here is the concept of walk is not just a short walk. It's that enduring walk with, I think, some intentionality of getting someplace. Can I encourage you that the Word of God is a great resource to console you? It will do more for you than some of the things that you might be turning to right now. It can give you a pure heart by helping you work on those things that need to be changed. It can help equip you so that you can do the good work through the teaching, through reproving, and for correction, and in the uh, training in righteousness.
So I encourage you that you embrace the scriptures and you utilize it. And you utilize some of the tools that we're making available here at the church, online, or even through the church if you want to ask for some things to be uh, available to you. Our goal is for the Word of God to continue to be that important living thing in your life. Because everything around us here, as much as we love it and as beautiful it is, it's really temporary when you consider the fact that God's Word is eternal. Father, we thank you again for your Word, and we ask, Lord, that uh, we will give it the place in our life that not just what it deserves, but what we need. We need this word. We need it to battle the discouragements. We need it to overcome those, uh, those times where we're fearful. We need it so that we can be better equipped to serve others. Thank you again, Lord, for loving us enough to give us your word. Help us be faithful to use it. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.